this week after Easter, we're starting a new series. And this series is something that, as we talk about it in the next couple of weeks, I encourage you guys to maybe engage it a bit differently than you've engaged other series in the past. So usually when I listen to a sermon, I'm kind of an open book. You know, pastor, speak to me, teach me. I, I want to know, I want to hear, I want to learn from you. I am encouraging you guys to approach this series maybe a little bit differently. Not because I don't think I have something important to say or Billy won't have anything important to say. We will. But as we talk about this topic, I think it's one that we tend to believe we already understand. Okay, I, I get it. I've done the church thing. I've, I've done all of that before. I got this. And then we'll just kind of go on autopilot for the next couple weeks. And instead, I would encourage you to be maybe a little bit more critical of me today. Try to engage. How have I learned this topic before? What have I thought? And what does that compare to what Eric is saying? Again, now, I think I have a lot of good to say, but I think it'd be even better if you guys try to connect with where you already are because we're talking about significance. Significance. We're starting a series called Created for Significance because we believe that's how we were all created. God created each and every one of us to live a significant life. Now, this is a pretty common saying. If you've been in church for any amount of time, you've probably heard this or something like this, maybe different terms, but the same meaning. And in reality, sometimes we can get kind of caught up in what we've already believed, and then we kind of get stuck. I know I have many, many times. So I encourage you over this week and the next couple of weeks to maybe be a bit more critical so that, wow, I got a lot of reverb up here, just so you know, in the booth. Something just turned up. But this is a very, very important topic. It's really important to me. I think, and this is a personal belief, I think everybody wants to know that they are significant. Every single person. You cannot point to a person on planet Earth that does not want to know that they're significant. Now, some people, and some people I know may pretend that they don't. They may say that they don't. But deep down, they really want to know that they're living a life that matters. They're, that they aren't wasting day after day after day until this life is over. That what they are doing each morning, each night, and everything in between has a purpose, has significance. And that will, that's what we're going to engage with today. This is a topic that, honestly, I've cared a lot about for a long time. Not as a scholar, but as a person. As far back as early high school, I remember if someone asked me, what's your biggest fear? You might say spiders or heights or airplanes or something, I would say my biggest fear is getting to the end of my life and recognizing that I wasted the whole thing. Not a lie, kind of morbid, but that's what my biggest fear was. And I felt lost and kind of insignificant. So as this topic has been brought up year after year, you know, month after month, sometimes day after day in my life, God has spoken to me slowly but surely in showing me how to live a significant life. I had an incredible opportunity in college as I did many other things, running track and field, meeting Kaylee, having fun, doing school, of course, because that's what college is about. I also got to work in one of our few, like, corporate-like offices on campus. It wasn't very big. There was three or four faculty and then about six or seven students, and it was our calling and career office, which is the Christian version of a placement office. Talk about resumes, getting internships, getting jobs. I got to be one of the students who worked there. I had a pretty unique role. We had graphic designers, and we had website developers, and we had copyright people, and we had event planners. I got a special role. I don't know if they had it after me or before me, but they, they talked to me. They wanted me to be the vocation liaison between the students and staff. 
So basically all that means is I have the privilege of talking about calling and vocation with all the students and student employees that came into our office and connecting them with all the faculty that talked about the subject, vocation and calling. I had some courses on it, I had some content I wrote and developed over it, and it was an incredible season of learning and growth as we talked about significance. And one of the biggest things I learned is that every person that came in wanted to know that they were significant. They wanted to know that their resume was gonna show, hey, this is what I actually know how to do. They wanted to know, am I gonna get a job that's worth my time? Am I gonna get a job that's in my degree field? Am I gonna be able to do what I feel called to do? And I think that's where every single one of us can connect. We all want to be loved, and we all want to know that we're significant. And that's a truth for you to remember today. That's not even a point, but that's a truth. We are all significant, and I want to talk about why and how we know that. Okay, so I'm excited. We're going to go into an incredible story in Scripture today. If you haven't heard this story before, it's a good one. If you have, you'll probably know why we're going to it. But it's in Ezekiel chapter 37. So if you have a Bible or a phone, it will be on the screen, but obviously the words are a bit smaller. So if you want to go to Ezekiel chapter 37, we're going to start right in verse 1. And this is a story that's a bit unique. There's not many like it in Scripture. And it's one that takes on a bit of a different flavor because it's an oracle is the term. So we don't read a lot of oracles. We read a lot of narrative, a lot of poetry, a lot of history. This is basically a prophecy where God comes to Ezekiel, who's a prophet, and he gives him a vision. And this is the story of that vision. Okay, so I want to start in chapter 37 and verse 1. We're going to read the story, and then we're going to talk about it, okay? Okay? There it is. Perfect. You guys are awake, making sure. Okay. Starting in verse 1, Ezekiel says, The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. He said to me, Mortal, can these bones live? I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you, and cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded. And as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked, and there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, mortal, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood on their feet, a vast multitude. Then he said to me, Mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, I am going to open your graves, and bring you up from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. I will place you on your own soil. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. All right, there is a lot there, and I want to spend the next couple of minutes unpacking that entire story. So first, a little bit of background on Ezekiel. He is a prophet, 
So that is something we know, but specifically, he was a prophet during the Babylonian exile. So if any of you guys had, I would say, the pleasure of hearing my message in December, I, one of my 20 points was that I learned this past year that the Babylonian exile is immensely important to the story of the Old Testament. Immensely. A lot of the Old Testament is broken up into pre-Babylonian exile, exile, and post-exile. This is one of the major themes of the nation of Israel. They were called to be God's people, they were unfaithful, and they were essentially taken over and taken out of their land for what they had done, and then restored, and it's the story of how God works in, through, and for his people. So Ezekiel, as we begin to understand the story, it's important to note that he's speaking from another land. He's not in his home. And as someone who grew up in the United States and still lives in the United States by choice, I, I can't totally relate to this. I, I didn't grow up here. I grew up in Indianapolis, but I drove here to get here. I live here on purpose. I rent a home on purpose. Ezekiel wasn't that way. Imagine that you're at home and someone with a lot of probably machinery and guns comes and says, you can't live here anymore. We're taking over and they take you somewhere else. And you're not living, forget home anymore. You're not in the U.S. anymore. You're probably not in North America anymore. You live somewhere else. Life would be pretty disastrous. And that is the life that Ezekiel is living. That's the context where God is bringing this prophecy. He's not living in a good life and everything's fine and he's saying, hey, let me show you something cool. He's living in a time where he's like, God, I feel like everything is dead. Nothing is good anymore. Life is a waste. And God has come to say, let me speak to you. And immediately before this story, God actually gives Ezekiel a vision of restoration. And there's this irony that Ezekiel comes from this vision of beauty and glory into immediately a valley of dead, dry bones. And God is showing him how he is working in that way. So verse, verses 1 through 6, I'm going to start, we're going to break this up into a couple of pieces and talk about how this connects to our significance because we're not part of the nation of Israel back then. You know, Ezekiel's not my buddy. You know, I'd never seen a valley of dry bones come to life. How does this connect to us? And I want to talk about that. So I want to go back, verses 1 through 6. They say, The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them, and there were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. He said to me, Mortal, can these bones live? I answered, O Lord God, you know. I feel like that's a cop-out answer. He's like, can they live Ezekiel? And he's like, you know the answer. I don't. You do. Lord, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. One of the most striking things that is first to me in this passage is that God doesn't speak to the bones. God speaks to Ezekiel and has Ezekiel speak to the bones. Even in a vision, God is saying, Ezekiel, say this. Ezekiel, do this. Ezekiel, prophesy over these bones. And that's our first point. That's the first thing that we need to learn. Significance comes from creating with our creator. Significance comes from creating with our creator. A lot of times we jump back to Genesis in chapters 1 and 2 when we talk about how God created and he created Adam and then he said, Adam, name these animals. Adam, do this with me. And there's this concept of 
creaturely creativity. We are creatures, but we're also called to create like our creator. And we see that here, how God is not just saying, Ezekiel, watch this. He's saying, Ezekiel, do this. Do the miraculous in this vision. In, in theory, while God does do everything miraculous here, you don't see God's hand moving. You see Ezekiel doing all of it. And in our lives, we tend to forget that we're called to be like God. There's uh, the, I believe the Greek phrase, imago Dei, means image of God. And a lot of times when I've been taught about the image of God, it's that, hey, we're like him, and it's left at that. And in my head, I kind of imagine that I, I look like God, I guess. I look like Jesus. We're, we're both humans. But to look like God is really to reflect who God is, to reflect his character, to reflect his being, to reflect what he does. And as God creates, I'm going to reflect that and go and create in my own life. I talk about creativity a lot. It's one of my favorite things. I really think it's a missing piece of the human life. And there's immense things that we can create. So many different areas we can create art. And I think that's the most common one. I say creativity, you probably think of a painter. You know, Da Vinci painting something beautiful. You, you think of a Van Gogh. You think of artistic things. And th those are good. That's true. If you paint, paint. There's music, but there's also creativity and how to have a good business. Creativity in relating to people. Creativity in solving problems. Creativity in developing hospitable environments. There's creativity in every area of life. You weren't called to be a painter. That is not a sweeping generalization that God has for you. Create, paint for me. If that was the case, I would be the worst. I cannot paint, but I can be creative, and you can be creative. And as we're called to live like God, we're called to create like him. And there's another side to this creativity is that when you create something, it's usually the image is a blank canvas, and then you end up with something else. You take something that was raw, and you make it something beautifully complex in a good way. And that's the second point about significance, is that significance cannot just be consumed. We can't just go and buy it. We can't just find it. It's meant to be cultivated. The image of a garden, if God gives you the seed, we need to plant it, we need to water it, we need to tend to it. Our significance is cultivated. It is a gift from God, and, and we'll get back to that in a few minutes. But it's not just something that I can go to the store and wait in line, scan, and purchase. If I'm here sitting and waiting, watching TV, watching life go by, and hoping to feel significant, I never will. I will never experience a fulfilling life by just sitting back and waiting for it to happen. That's a big misconception, unfortunately. That we, but we must cultivate that significance with God and, and really live out that blessing. When God said, Adam, name these animals, he didn't turn back to God and say, really? Can't I just watch them go by? Can I just watch Nat Geo and see what's all happening here in the garden? This is all new. I just want to take it all in. No, it was a blessing to him to create with God, and it's a blessing to us to be able to walk this life and create as a reflection of God, to create spaces, to create solutions, to create art, to create media, to create environments that God would say, this is good. So we're called to create and cultivate our significance. All right, we're going we're to jump to verse 7 through 10. This is Ezekiel talking again. So I prophesied as I had been commanded. And as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and these bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked, and there were sinews on them, 
and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy mortal, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, a vast multitude. Okay, I, I, we've been going through this kind of quick, so I want to slow down and just pause right here at this point in the story and let you imagine what is actually happening. So you, if you want to close your eyes, you can. Just imagine you're in this valley, this big valley, vast canyons around you, and it's covered in bones. Bones everywhere. And they're dry bones. You know, whoever these people were, they've been dead a long time. They're dry. And to just imagine watching them slowly rattle where they are and sift together and the right bone coming to the right joint and connecting and moving, this is a terrifyingly amazing vision. If I were Ezekiel, I would be petrified. I I wouldn't love standing in the valley of dry bones, but I would probably freak out a little bit if I watched these bones form themselves back into people. I don't know about you, I've never really seen that. There's not one of those happening in Southgate each week. It's a wild thing. It's a miraculous concept. So I I just wanted to pause and note what is really happening. Dead things, moving, shaking, miraculously becoming life. But as soon as Ezekiel prophesied over these bones, the bones came together, the joints came over them, skin came on top of them, they weren't alive. The bodies were no longer bones, but the bones weren't alive. They were still just whatever they were, lifeless, formed bodies. And too often, we, we see this in our culture. We don't see you know, dead bodies lying around, thankfully. But we see entities, people, teachers, companies try to sell us something that looks like significance. We have people who try to say, this is how you can live the good life. This is how you can feel fulfilled. This is, this is where you need to invest, where you need to focus, where you need to spend your time, spend your money, spend your hope, spend your life. Did you know that the average American sees 4,000 to 10,000 advertisements every day? Every day. 4,000 to 10,000. And I read that and I was like, there is no way. Even if I'm on the low end, 4,000 advertisements every day. But then I started thinking about, what do I do in my day? I drive, and as I drive, I see billboard after billboard after billboard. I see each store having their name and what they're selling on, you know, some information card underneath their logo. I see cars driving by with stickers and magnets and even entire cars decorated to promote a business. I think about the time I watch TV and how... Every six and a half minutes, there's 90 seconds of commercials. And in one 20-minute show, I might see 10 to 15 ads. I'm on social media, and as I scroll, ads pop up. And they're so sneaky that nowadays they look like other posts. I use a stock photo website that has beautiful photos, and they're all free. And they've incorporated this thing where they have advertising photos next to the stock photos that look just like the photos you're looking at but it just has an ad over top of it. And it's really deceptive, because I'm like, oh, that's a nice photo, and I go to click on it, and then I realize it's for boxed water, or DocuSign, or something else. I'm like, what the heck? This is ridiculous. 
And I realized, man, I see thousands of ads every day, all the time, and I don't even know it. I don't even realize it. I don't recognize that someone else is trying to sell me on their version of the good life. If you've ever seen a car commercial, you know most of the time they don't sell the car. I can't remember the last time I saw an ad that said, look at the interior and the leather and like, look at the beautiful steering wheel and the large dash. No, they don't do that anymore. They get a good-looking guy or a girl, and they put them in a fancy house with all the nice clothes, and they're putting on their $17,000 watch, and they grab their keys, and they go sit in their Lexus, and they just relax. Like, I've got everything I need and a car where I can breathe. They're not selling you. They are selling you the car, but they're not selling you the car. They're selling you on relaxation. Where you get the, the truck commercials where they're putting 17 million pounds in the bed and they're driving it up this really steep hill and they're like, look, our truck doesn't fall apart. You can be the outdoorsman you've always wanted to be. They're selling you on life. Now, they say you need this truck or you need this Lexus to make it happen, but they're selling you life. They're selling you fulfillment. They're trying to sell you significance. Do you feel an empty hole in your life? Buy our car. It'll make you feel better. You're having, your party's lame? Buy our drink. Everyone will love your parties. It'll be a good time. They're trying to sell you on significance. But the other thing is, it's not just this little thing. They want all of you. Because if you are this committed, you'll spend this much money to live the life they have for you. But if you're this committed, you're going to spend this much money to live the life they have for you. Don't just be a fan. Be a fanatic. Wear the jersey. You need the t-shirt. Hey, they just won this game. You need the shirt for it. Hey, how about you double down and bet on some of these sports games? Sports are great, but add some money. It's a lot more fun. Hey, support this politician. They're fighting the evil one. They need you. They need your help right now. Give them your money. Give them your time. Support, 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 support. Go get the bigger job. Get the bigger house. Get what you want. That's what life is about. And unfortunately, it's not. And we see that here in the story of Ezekiel. He says, he prophesies as God tells him to, and everything comes together, and they're still just laying there on the ground. It's the Bible version of zombies, I'm telling you. They're just right there. But unfortunately, people try to sell us this zombie life. Hey, come and do this. And we get there, and we, we buy all the things. We get the hats. We get the shirts. We have everything around us. And I'm like, I feel the same. Or maybe I feel worse because I spent all this money or I spent all this time or I invested so much in this and I feel the same way as I did before. What's even more unfortunate is that if we're not careful, we can do this in church too. Come on Sunday morning, invite a friend, volunteer, tithe, join a group, read a devotional, make sure you're in scripture. Do you pray enough? Are you talking to your friends about Jesus? Are you part of a committee? What are you doing? And those are all good things, don't get me wrong, but if they don't have the life of the Spirit in them, they're still just bones. Bodies without breath in them. Going to church is beautiful and essential. Volunteering is great. Tithing is a huge part of our life, but if we only do them for the task themselves, we miss the life of Jesus that's actually in them. We miss the breath that's there. 
verse 8, I looked and there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. And if we're not careful, we can try to work so hard to find significance that we just find more things to do. We, we find someone to be based upon what society or a company or a pastor sometimes says we need to be. And I'm a pastor, and I'm asking people to do those things, and that's not the point. The point is the things themselves don't save us. The things themselves don't bring us significance. It's the person behind them that does. And I'm not that person. That person's Jesus. And to add on to this, there's another phenomenon in our culture that we cling to, and it's called, this is a big word, utilitarianism. It's simpler than it thinks. If I was teaching to the students, I'd say, go home and tell your parents about that word, and they'll believe that you learned something. Utilitarianism. All it is, is the belief that everything needs to have a purpose or utility. It has to function somehow. There's a lot of people in my life that bless me by getting me gifts at my birthday or Christmas or other times of year. And it's one of the most stressful things in my entire life. <laughs> it really is. I love them and I'm grateful for them. And they come to me and say, hey, what do you want for your birthday? And I say, I don't know. And so then they say, well, do you want this? Or do you want that? Do you want this? And half the time I respond with, no, I'll never use that. That's really nice and I appreciate it, but it's just going to sit on the shelf. I don't need it. It's not going to get used. And everything to me is about function. If a gift doesn't have function, I'm probably not going to use it. I'm probably not just, I don't like to just look at things on shelves. That's not me. That's fine if it's you, but that's not me. You know, I, I don't need any decor. It's fine. I got one thing on my wall. We're good. And I, I'm focused on the function of things. And unfortunately, so is our society. Something needs to do something. It needs a function or it's useless. It's worthless. And again, unfortunately, we can say the same thing about church sometimes. Is church good for my, is it helping my kids? Is prayer making me happier? Is volunteering beneficial for me? What is the function? Where is the utility in my life that I am getting out of this thing? And if we lean into this, we're going to miss the significance behind it. Jesus calls us to be his. Okay, we're not just called to do things for him. We're not just called to tithe. We're not just called to arrive. We're not just called to volunteer. We're not just called to join. We're called to be his sons and daughters. Verse 10, I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived. And they stood on their feet, a vast multitude. Jesus calls us to embody his spirit and to live with him as his sons and daughters, as his heirs. And that's the third point. A disciple can be useful, but a son or daughter will be significant. Let me say that again. A disciple can be useful and will be useful, but a son or daughter will be significant. Now, I, I know you might be thinking, well, Eric, I got I to gotta do something. And I'm not saying to not do things. But sometimes we mix up the difference between usefulness and significance. Because there's a lot of things that are useful that carry no significance in my life. Kaylee and I just moved from an apartment to a house. We're in the same city, but you know, lease was up, better deal, better place. It was great. Except we had to move. I hate moving. I've been dreading moving since we arrived at our new place, or the old place. That's where we left, new place. I hate moving. 
That's the whole point. And we had to move all of these really, really big things, not all of these little tiny things. And there's a lot of things that I found as we got into our house but hadn't unpacked that I was going to first. And they weren't the things that I thought they were. It was, hey, we got to get the washer and dryer hooked up. Hey, I need to find the broom. There's a mess here. Where's the vacuum? I've got to clean the carpet again because it's a mess. And there's a lot of things in my life that are impeccably useful. There's tons of utility in it. But if you said, hey, Eric, I've got this new broom that helps you sweep five times faster and it's way cleaner than the other one, I would throw my broom in the garbage and grab yours real fast. It's useful. I don't care about a broom. It's a broom. I bought it. Ten bucks at the store. Get rid of it. Give me a new one. But there's other things that have significance. If my broom, if my broom breaks or you give me a new one, I'll throw it away immediately. But if my wedding ring ever broke and I couldn't wear it anymore, I would keep it forever. Yeah, I may need to get a new one, but I would still keep this ring, my bedside table, in my office somewhere because it's significant. Even when its usefulness is done, it still has meaning. God does not just call us to be useful beings. We're called to be significant beings. We're not just called to be disciples to do things. We're called to be sons and daughters and heirs that are significant beyond measure. Don't just be a body with joints and bone and marrow and skin. We're called to be bodies with breath and life in us. If you miss everything else from today, remember that. Remember that point. Disciple is useful, but an heir is significant. When we stop focusing on the tasks, the to-dos, the things, and we start focusing on the person, the breath of life that is in us, we, begin, we can begin to be filled and live a life that is significant. I verse 11 through 14. Then he said to me, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Remember, they're in exile. Israel is their homeland. That's that was the promise of God, the promised land we read about in Exodus and all of Moses and the people trying to get there and Joshua going in. That was the promise of God and that promise had been taken away. And he's saying, I will restore you to the nation of Israel, to the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open up your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you on your own soil. And then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that way? You're like, God, I'm just, I'm done. I don't feel anything. I'm so frustrated. I'm so hurt. I, I'm done. My, my life is over. I feel impeccably dry. If a good spiritual life is meant to be a rushing riverbed, I'm just cracked clay on the ground. God, I feel nothing. I'm so frustrated. I'm so angry. I'm so lost. I, I don't know what has happened. I've done everything, God, and I just feel alone. I feel without you. I don't feel your connection anymore. Have you ever felt that way? 
Do you feel that way right now? Sometimes we don't want to admit it, especially this is the Sunday after Easter. We just celebrate the resurrection. I'm supposed to be all good. But sometimes we're not. Sometimes we feel dry. We feel like these bones that God might have abandoned. And we're questioning and we're confused. And we just don't understand. But that's the beauty of what we celebrated last week. The resurrection of Jesus. And we talk about how when Jesus rose from the grave, we rose with him from death into life. And that's a beautiful truth. But at the same time, we have to know that at the same time, while we went from death to life, we also went from obscurity into significance. We went from obscurity into significance because God, Yahweh, the God we serve and praise, brought us into his story. We were in our own stories, and when Jesus rose, and we gave our lives to him, and we trusted him, and we connect with him, we go from our story to the story of God. Eric is no longer the author of my story. It's the Lord. It's no longer me who takes pen to paper, and every day I say, what am I going to do? How am I going to live? How am I going to figure this out? It's God saying, I've got you. You're in my story. Let's walk this together. We go from obscurity to significance because we're part of his story. The act of being written in itself is significant. Why do you think we talk about Christmas and Easter so often? It's because stuff like that doesn't happen every day. We still commemorate the day that Jesus was born in hu as a human because you don't see that all the time. When was the other time that God came down and became man? When was the other time that God as man died for our sins and rose and ascended to heaven and gave us his spirit? When else has that happened? It hasn't, which is why we celebrate Christmas and Easter because it's significant. And that same God of significance brings you into his story. It says you are significant. But just like the advertisers, just like the companies, just like the culture around us, a lot of people don't understand that. They don't believe that. They don't promote that. They go the other way with it. They turn people into little gods. They're called celebrities. I'm sure you enjoy an area of life, sports, movies, TV, gardening, homekeeping, parenting, whatever it is, I'm sure you enjoy it, and I'm sure there's at least a handful of celebrities in it. One of the newer areas I was thinking about, and I don't know why, because I don't play video games, but eSports is a thing. Electronic sports, basically professional video game players. And I tried to watch one on TV the other day just to see it. I'm like, this is interesting. And it's this big crowd of people in a room three, four, five times the size, staring at two kids sitting at a desk doing this. And then the videos are above them. I'm like, I do not understand this at all. This seems, it's like I'm watching TV of people watching TV of people playing on TV. I, it, it didn't make sense, but there are celebrities in the field. I, I just looked up before I came up. I'm like, you know, maybe I could remember one of these names. I don't, but I remember the highest paid esports player makes $7 million a year. He's a celebrity, or she's a celebrity. I, I don't know. They're a celebrity. Sports, millions, millions, millions of dollars poured into players. Billions of dollars go to the owners. They're celebrities. Cooking, they've got celebrities. TV, obviously movies, they got celebrities. Church, they're celebrities. And when we see this, they teach us, or they try to teach us this other narrative. 
Just like the ads were saying, hey, this is the life you need to live and you need our product to live it. When we see the life of celebrity and recognize that I'm not that, I may be on a stage, but I'm not a celebrity. I've got like 300 Instagram followers, which if you're not on Instagram, that's basically zero. Okay, that is not, <laughs> Kaylee agrees, that's no one. That's no one. But they want you to think you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you don't have enough influence, you don't have enough Instagram followers, you don't have a big enough church, you don't have the big enough car, you don't have the big enough house. You're not a celebrity, but you need to live this way so that you can become a celebrity and be like all of them and then live the good life. And those are all lies. Those are all lies. I'm not knocking significance. I know there's plenty of people out there that did not try to become celebrities and they're still beautiful people and they're great people and I'm not talking about them. But this culture that says you need to become famous. The amount of videos I see of little kids just saying, when I grow up, I want to be famous. They don't want to be astronauts anymore. They don't want to be doctors anymore. They want to be famous. I want to be YouTube famous. I want to be a celebrity and God comes into our life and he says, I wrote you into my story. You don't need a million Instagram followers. You don't need a 30,000 square foot house. You don't need checks of a million dollars coming in every week. You don't need two million followers on your YouTube channel. You don't need to be the head of a company that's in Fortune 500 every year. You just need to live the life I've given to you because it's not obscure anymore. I know the hairs on your head, let alone your whole life. We've been taken from obscurity, from lostness, from insignificance into a life of significance because we're in God's story. Jesus says, I love you. He says, I care about you. He says, you don't need to do anymore. I am enough for you. You don't need Jesus plus followers, Jesus plus money, Jesus plus a house. You don't need perfect kids just need me. I'm enough. I am enough for you. When we choose to set aside our pride and our selfish ambitions, not just ambition, our selfish ambitions, the things that are about us, our individual desires, and instead look to fill every area of our lives with Jesus, we begin to recognize that significance. Because I think, and this is our last point, the biggest problem we have is Jesus is saying, here, I want to give you a life of significance. And people like me say, wait, let me figure this out first. Let me handle it. I think I've got it. If I just do this, I'll be significant. If I make these people happy, I'll have it all figured out. If I get this job, if I buy this house, if I follow the, the culture around me, I'll be okay. I'll get it. I'll figure it out. But that's not the truth. In Ezekiel, he says, God says, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live, and I will place you on your own soil. The people of Israel weren't meant to live in exile. They were meant to live in the land of Israel and be a holy nation, a chosen people. And when we claim his spirit, and he's giving us a gift, and we have to come out and say, yes, Jesus, I will take it every day, not just that first day we made a decision, but every morning after that, every night after that, every time in between. Yes, God, I want to claim this over my life we will begin to live the life we are called to live and experience that significance on our own soil. Our own soil. 
where God has placed us on our own soil, at your house, in your city, in this country. Not the soil of Tom Hanks. Not the soil of your favorite celebrity. Your own soil. He didn't call the nation of Israel to go and be in East Asia. He didn't call them to be in the Western world. He called them to be in the land of Israel. And in the same way, he's called us to be significant where we are, living the lives that we live. He's not upset that you're not the head of your company. He's not upset that you don't have a million followers or a million dollars. He loves that you are you. He loves that you live the life he set before you. That gives him pleasure. That gives him joy. To see you being who he's called you to be. There's a lot of people, and I I speak to this because of a lot of things that have happened in the news lately regarding them and because it's my own profession. There's a lot of pastors that chase fame. And a lot of them come crumbling down. And I'd be lying if I said, That wasn't a temptation. As schooling happens and learning happens, you see these people that promote these things, and I'm sure this is true in every area of life, every career, that they say, if you just do this, you'll finally reach it. You'll finally fill the room. You'll finally have the book deals. You'll finally have the followers. You'll finally make the money. But that's not the point. The point, bigger isn't always better. More significant is better. And they say, well, if I have a million followers, then more people will hear the word of God. Sure, you can make that argument. But if I'm too busy trying to reach the million and miss the 200 that are here, am I really living into the significance God has for me? God called the bones to live With Ezekiel, the breath of life was breathed into them. Jesus rose on the third day last week. And then 50 days later on the day of Pentecost, he breathed the spirit of life into all his followers. And that's us too. We are his followers. The spirit of life can be breathed in us. And we're called to live a life of significance because we are filled with that spirit where we are with God. And you may say that's too simplistic. And I may say, I think everyone's making it way more complicated than it needs to be. Significance comes from living with Jesus. Every day, every moment, every decision, how can I decide this with the Lord? How can I push off the lies of this culture and instead live into the beauty and joy and flourishing that the Lord has for me? That's the question of every day. That's the question to leave with. How can I bring this? How can I claim that gift and embody it today? Let me pray with you guys. Lord, we are so thankful. Not because we have it all figured out, Lord, we're not thankful because we woke up this morning and we just shouted, I feel significant. Many of us probably sat up and slumped over and said, Lord, I don't, I don't feel significant. 
But the truth is that you call us significant. I pray you give us the strength, you give us the determination, you give us the grit to continually say, Lord, I trust you. I believe that you call me significant. I believe that your life in me is the most significant thing that I'm ever going to need. Lord, I pray that we don't walk around like these zombies, just bodies with skin and bone and sinews and joints, Lord, but we're bodies full of life, bodies full of hope. Lord, I pray that you fill us with the breath of your spirit. That when we feel lost, we may remember that you were there. When we, when we are confused, that you will remind us that your spirit will help guide us through. Lord, I pray that we remember that you make us significant. Our prayer this morning is that we may remember that. That this isn't just something that's fleeting, that we don't, don't just take today or the next month to talk about significance and then come August we think, oh Lord, where did it all go? Lord, imprint this on our hearts. Imprint this in our minds. Make this a complete part of our memory, Lord, that you wrote us into your story. You said, you are my son. You said, you are my daughter. And that makes you significant. And that, Lord, we are grateful. We are grateful. We are grateful. Spirit, I pray you speak to any person in this room, Lord, that needs to hear this again. That they need to know that you look at them and say, I love you. I am enough for you. You don't need to keep running the rat race. I am enough. I am enough. I am enough. Lord, speak that to them now. We pray you continue to be in this place, Lord. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen.